today, in 2017, a text message has a 98% read rate. If I can't physically go talk to somebody, what's the best way for me to communicate with them? So we got into the texting and we saw how well it worked for us. So some of our clients were like, what could we use that texting for? From Innovate Mississippi, this is Origins of Innovation, raw, honest conversations with the founders on the then and now of their Mississippi-based startups. I'm Bo York, and on today's show, how founder Brad McMullen went from broadcast journalism to serial entrepreneur. Brad McMullen is an Emmy award-winning journalist turned award-winning CEO. Over the last decade, McMullen has helped build a struggling startup into award-winning multi-million dollar mobile technology giant with more than a thousand clients around the world. A devout Christian born in Norman, Oklahoma, when you ask Brad how he found himself firmly planted in Jackson, Mississippi. God works in mysterious ways. I actually arrived in Jackson on January 4th, 2002 to be a news anchor for WAPT. All right. And I came here and absolutely fell in love with Mississippi. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful place, but um, I mean, in all fairness, you know, Oklahoma to Mississippi, at least, like in Oklahoma, it's a pretty flat state, right? That's correct. I, I, and I say this, you know, Mississippi to me, and I might be a little biased, is the most beautiful state in the country. Mm. I think it's absolutely amazing. And you can get everything here. <laughs> if you love the water, we've got tons of water. If you love trees, we've got trees. You know, we've got some beautiful hills and different things. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, again, uh, God has created a beautiful spot here, and it's also affordable. You know, I can't say this enough to people that your dollar goes so much further here. And then what I think is the greatest asset of all is the people. Mm. Uh, The people here genuinely are good. Uh, They're good people. They love other people. I think the majority of people that live in the state want to treat people the way they want to be treated. And I think that is the greatest natural resource we have in this state, true Southern hospitality. And so I love it. So I think when a lot of people have left, you know, we've invested our business here. Um, I own a house here. I just bought another house here. You know, we just love it here. We, we feel really fortunate um, to be here in Mississippi. Great place. Mm. Now, now, where did you go to school? I went to the University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. Uh, <laughs> so if there are any Ohio State fans listening to this, I'm sorry. But then again, we just lost to Iowa State. So uh, yeah, kind of tragedy in the Bee Gees there to sing it. But uh, a proud Sooner, love the University of Oklahoma. Uh, just uh, really fortunate to have gone to what I think is uh, a fantastic university. More national merit scholars than Harvard or Yale or oh, wow. Princeton, uh, but just a great, great public university. Um, my parents taught me a long time ago that if you want to go to college, you can go anywhere you want, but you have to pay for it yourself. <laughs> and in-state tuition is much cheaper uh, than anything else. And uh, I, I didn't go a long way away to college. I went about five miles away from my house down the street to the University of Oklahoma. But I just really uh, consider it one of the greatest experiences of my life. That's great. And did you actually go with kind of the, the goal of getting a, a degree in journalism or, or what was kind of your, your passion at the time? When I was 18 years old and in high school, uh, my, my old high school, Norman High, had changed to a block schedule. So very similar to college because the whole idea was to better prepare kids for college. I see, yeah. So instead of taking seven classes in a day that were all different, we would instead take four classes a day, uh, and then you would rotate those days so you were taking eight total classes. So they added more or less an extra class to our schedule. The class I decided to take was media. And in doing that, I got my first job in television at age 18 covering women's soccer. 
And so I did that, and then eventually did high school football with a guy by the name of Dari Noka, who a lot of people know. He's the main uh, SEC network anchor and <laughs> right, sports yeah. center guy. Uh, so his career did all right. He did he did really well. And then eventually went to work for Fox Broadcasting, doing a radio show. And then my senior year at OU, I went to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, I drove to Joplin, Missouri, where I did the weather for the NBC affiliate there which is really sad for everybody because I didn't know a thing about weather. And I'd be standing up in front of a giant screen going, see this blob? This is a bad blob. I don't know why, but they say it's bad. So run from this blob. Uh, Then I was blessed. Paul Wise, who uh, is no longer with us, he passed away earlier this year, uh, gave me an opportunity to go to Beaumont, Texas. And I came to Beaumont and then Hearst uh, Television uh, gave me an opportunity to come and, and work in Jackson, and I worked for nine years uh, anchoring the news for WAPT during the morning show, and then the 5 p.m. newscast. And my last day on the job, I was covering the oil spill disaster and, and literally got to sit on the front row of the White House press corps asking then-President Obama wow. questions. So I, I was just absolutely blessed um, in my career and uh, just really fortunate in broadcasting. And I just loved it very much. Sitting here at the microphone, I feel like I'm at home. I yeah, it's, it's old home week. Just get get uh, right. get right back where you belong. So so that's the thing. So you, you were actually in here, uh, in Jackson, rather, uh, broadcasting for nine years. That's right. And during that time, I mean, you know, what you know? Tell tell me a little bit about that experience because I think I think a lot of us you know um, you know we, we see the familiar faces on television and, and especially when it comes to local news that that's such a crucial part of uh, of no matter where you live to stay informed and to know what's going on in, in your own communities and so there is kind of that inviting you into the living room uh, type of relationship. But what was that like for you? It was a privilege. You know, every day that I had an opportunity to work in television or in radio, I considered it an absolute privilege. Uh, the honor that I had to be able to go and do stories for people or to interview uh, famous um, you know, famous business leaders, famous celebrities, or politicians. I felt, uh, you know, I was bearing a responsibility to really know the only reason why I'm here is because the people watch that station. Mm. The only reason why I have this opportunity is people listen to that radio station. And so I felt kind of a burden with what doing it and also just a, a true privilege so I loved it. I absolutely loved my job and, you know, so fortunate uh, to work with so many amazing people. Uh, I mean this, that I, I had an, a chance to work with a guy named Don Champion, who's a national correspondent for CBS News today. Uh, Marcus Moore, who's a national correspondent for ABC News. Wow. And work with some of the best producers in the world that work for some of the largest TV stations, uh, work for great managers, and just really, really fortunate uh, to work in that industry. And But some of the stories, and I say this, that, you know, I wasn't immune to them. So, you know, covering some of the, the tragedies uh, from, you know, tornadoes to, and I mean this, Hurricane Katrina, I'll never forget it. You know, I was blessed to win an Emmy Award for that coverage, but it was um, it was gut wrenching seeing it all unfold, and people just ask, you know, what did you do? And I said, I was just myself on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, I just tried to have conversations and uh, tried to give people, you know, you know, a better look at what exactly was going on, and not being afraid to ask the the tough questions. I think what you see in the media today is that you see some some people that allow a little too much of that on the air Mm. like you may know where they stand politically i was always taught the complete opposite everybody's got an opinion and that's valuable but when it comes to delivering the news 
you need to have everybody guessing on what political party you could be. Mm. And that if there is a political race, you shouldn't have a sign in your yard. You shouldn't wear the, you know, the sticker of somebody because your job is to gather the information for the voting public, report it factually, not one side or the other, and allow them to make an educated decision. Equip them with the facts and the figures for them to go make the decision. But I'll say this, the large majority of people in, in the press are still doing it the right way. Mm. Um, and I believe that the profession is still very honorable. But just like in almost any profession, you know, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a fireman, whether it's a politician, a lawyer, doctor, there are a few that don't do it right or may even break the law. And it kind of puts a negative cloud for everybody else. And I think you've seen that you know, also in the media. And I think we should listen to the public. You know, mm. when the majority of the public doesn't trust Congress, that's one thing. And I think that's a serious issue in itself. But now the majority of the public doesn't trust the media. Mm. Did, do you feel like you kind of made the transition out of media, like around that sweet spot where, where that trust still existed before kind of the pendulum started swinging? Or was it because you kind of saw things that you maybe wanted out at that point. No, I loved my job. And I feel that, yeah, I left at the sweet spot. And I had no idea this was coming. I mean, I really didn't. I mean, I felt so blessed when I went to a restaurant, people would be like, hey, it's the tall, goofy looking blonde guy from Channel 16. How are you, sir? <laughs> right. And when Borat came out, and uh, if those of you have ever seen the movie Borat, when he's being interviewed on television, that is me in that, uh, <laughs> that clip. Uh, that is not a family film, by the way. Uh, but I mean, that that transformed my life as well, and right. just being recognized and being able to go out and do things. The media was so well respected back then. I remember covering the presidential debate when it was Senator John McCain, and then soon to be President Obama, but uh, Senator Obama at the time. And the media was treated so well by everybody. Mm. And I just felt like it was such an honorable position, uh, an honorable profession. And I was just really thankful to be in it. And I think what happened is that, you know, and social media helps a lot of people weigh in on certain issues that because social media didn't exist, some people are like, oh, that's my neighbor. And they believe this. Right. Now on social media, sometimes you might be corrected on what your neighbor believes. And I think it allowed every, again, I go back to this, everybody had an opinion. But sometimes you have a little bit of keyboard courage, as I like to call it, <laughs> where people, you know, I would never say that to him right. or her. But behind this, you know, iPad, <laughs> I can type these things, you know, inside the Facebook app or inside the Instagram app or Twitter or on LinkedIn and throw out my opinion and see what happens. And I think there's always been division. I think there's always been, you know, people thought one thing or thought the other, but now you see it. Right. You know, what we are just now seeing is kind of everybody's opinion in HD now on our screens. Right. That's good. Right. So how long ago was it that you left? Your I left manager? seven years ago. Okay. So seven years ago, you made this decision, you know, you've got this, this great kind of platform, uh, you know, recognized by everybody, movie star to an extent, yeah. you know, like you, you have, you had this kind of platform and you made the decision, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own and start a business. Uh, how did Buy From a Christian come about? Well, I when I was in college at the University of Oklahoma in uh, 1999, 2000, I had this idea for a faith-based e-commerce website, buyfromachristian.com. And I thought, how cool would it be if you know people could go to this website and buy 
paying to do a listing on Buy From a Christian, they could support their own favorite church or own favorite nonprofit. Only God knows who's really a Christian. So it was really for everybody. And we just took that concept and kind of ran with it and uh, started the company formally in 2006. And in 2010, a very successful businessman came up and said, man, I love this idea. You know, I'd like to really take it to the next level. I'm going to invest this amount of money, which I had never in my wildest dreams thought we would ever get that kind of investment. But my requirement is I want you to leave your job in television to run this company. And I'm like, look, I read a teleprompter for a living. I, I've never started a business. I, you know, I didn't go to business school. I mean, I was a communications guy at the University of Oklahoma. You know, why me? And he said, you know, business, real business is about relationships. And if people can see that you're genuine and you care, they're going to want to do business with you. And I just took that to heart. And he said, you know, you, you know how to balance your checkbook. And I said, yes, sir. He said, if you make $3, you don't spend four. All right, you've got business. So we'll learn the P&Ls and we'll learn all these other things as we go. But in that process, um, and I mean this, I decided not to go with the investor. I decided to go out and literally do it on my own and start a different company, uh, which was BFAC.com, that would focus on just mobile apps and texting technology. So it was different from what we were doing, and it did not set the world on fire. And let me tell you, I don't know if anyone that's listening to this has ever struggled financially before. This was an unbelievable change for me. I literally had had a job every day of my life since I was 16. I always had a steady paycheck coming in. And now I have the repo man showing up on my doorstep. <laughs> you know, it was an unbelievable challenge. I had to borrow money to feed my family. Mm. I had to uh, literally ask my son who was five years old at the time, if I could have $20 out of his piggy bank so I could put gas in the car so I could go out and meet prospective clients. Oh, wow. And it was, you know, people see us today and they're like, man, BFAC, you know, the largest mobile app design company in the whole southeastern United States. They have 48 U.S. states, the actual states themselves as their clients, like California, New York, the National Guard, Toyota Motor Company, Dell Computer, Michelin Tires, the Department of Revenue, all of these clients, I mean, literally all over the earth. But it wasn't like that in the beginning. You know, long before Bobby Bowden was the spokesperson for our company, we had nobody. Hmm. And we were literally going through, and there were three different times in 2011, so the following year that we came within $100 of closing. And God just always provided. And that's always been, you know, and again, I know there are people that you know, have faith and other people that don't. Some people are religious, some people don't. You know, the key of my life is that I'm a Christian. That means that I am a broken sinner that is flawed, that is saved by grace. It does not mean I have all my stuff together, but it means that I truly realize where my blessings come from, where my strengths come from, but also why I have the weaknesses I have. If God didn't want me to have those weaknesses, he would have made me differently. And we were in the right place at the right time. I mean, if you rewind back to 2010, not many people were talking about mobile app. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost kind of kind of blown away. What, why, why, when you were kind of looking at switching from e-commerce, why did you go specifically to mobile apps? We were looking at a way to try to improve the ability to have better customer service with the clients on buyfromachristian.com. And we saw how people would read a text, but they weren't starting to read an email. Now, nobody reads email. I mean, it's awful, a 4% read rate. But today, 
in 2017, a text message has a 98% read rate. Hmm. So we were saying, if I can't physically go talk to somebody, what's the best way for me to communicate with them? So we got into the texting, and we saw how well it worked for us. So some of our clients were like, what can we use that texting for? And so we just dabbled with different things, and I couldn't really come up with a great name. So literally, I took the, the start of, you know, literally, buy from a Christian started with a B, from started with an F, A started with an A, C started, okay, so BFAC, and that's how it started. And a, then, as an acronym. Yes, exactly. And uh, so both companies were separate, separate LLCs, you know, different functions. We went at it, and uh, we did the New Venture Challenge with uh, Innovate Mississippi, and we're just kind of showing our progress. And they had some amazing business people that did that competition, judges like from IBM and other things. And we won that competition. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what year was it that y'all competed? That was in 2011. Okay. And yeah. so in 2011 for the for the challenge, um, do you remember who you were up against or, or kind of that whole process? You know, that's a great question. I know that um, there were some actually some really good companies. I think Vsporto was in there and, and they've done all right. I mean, they're, they're worth millions of dollars today with, uh, you know, mobile apps all over the place for universities. There was a couple of other companies in there that have done very, very well. So I think that class of people, uh, the class of companies and the presentations uh, were awesome. Hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to tell people during that time period is that I believe you can do business anywhere. You can teach people anything, but either they have work ethic or they don't. And one of our first clients, I remember driving to Atlanta to meet with the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A. And meeting with Truett Cathy, from what I was told, he only met with like four people at that time in 2010. And one of the very first big clients we ever had, we built the first Chick-fil-A app and did the, you know, texting oh, cool, for Chick-fil-A yeah. and, you know, started it right here in Jackson. You know, that's the other thing. Before Baton Rouge and before all these other locations around the country, it was right here in little old Jackson, Mississippi. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not a coder. No. So no, absolutely not. How did you gather the right talents? Uh, you had this this e-commerce site that was doing pretty well. You, you switched to kind of mobile apps at kind of this prime time, like but right before it's the prime time. It's not like you knew how to do that. How did you even go about like gathering your team? Right. And let me say that was so fun is that none of our team members were ever coders. They learned it. Oh, really? Oh, so wow. We, we were literally learning the industry because there wasn't a degree really in that at that time. Yeah. There wasn't people that were like, here's a mobile app. This is how you build it. So we were literally learning it. Even one of our interns at that time, uh, who's now a full-time person with us, was reading JavaScript and doing these things and reading these books and trying to figure out a way to do this. And our, our head graphics designer, who moved from Seattle, uh, Washington to Jackson, had never designed an app in his life. Huh. And you know now we've designed thousands. It's kind of unbelievable to think about it, but we've literally designed thousands of apps. And you know our communication platforms used by everybody from the Dodgers to you know MGM Park, and it's a god-sized miracle business story. Mm. Was was Chick Fil A like y'all's first big break? They were. Um, and once you get someone like Chick Fil A, people are like, "Wow, they are they're really tough to get as a client." So yeah. we should probably take a closer look at this company. And we also had a sweet spot for pricing. So if somebody wants an app right now, you know, the average app in the United States in 2017 is about $75,000. Apps are not cheap, okay? So it's big elephant hunting. And where we really got our niche is we said, okay, if we have the tiniest margin in the world and we're about really grabbing clients 
And my original goal was we wanted to talk to a million people by the end of the year, you know, have a million people in our database, which we uh, were able to accomplish, which was an amazing goal. As I said, we've got to work harder than people. We've got to be able to showcase this technology, but we've got to be affordable. Hmm. So when other people are charging this a ridiculous amount of money, we create an iPhone app and an iPad app for a client and a Google Android app. And now this progressive web app, it works on every single platform. So whether they've got a Kindle Fire or the soon-to-be now extinct Windows phone, (laughs) their app is going to work. And then we started really diving into and I mean this, licensing technology to put in those apps. So we came out and said, all right, we're going to go to market with a $5,000 price tag. And people are like, what? I mean, an app costs $75,000 or $150,000, and you're, you're going to go in and you're going to offer a $5,000 app that can do all of these things? Well, what are they going to do about customer support? Well, we're going to hire individualized customer service reps that are going to manage those accounts. So we targeted tiny small businesses that may have one employee or two employees or three employees and said, hey, if you go with BFAC and you spend $5,000 with us, we're going to have an account manager that's going to show you how to use your technology. Hmm. And you're going to have their cell phone numbers. You're not calling 1-800 numbers. You're not you know, going over here. And of course, that costs well over a million dollars for us to do that. And we lost half of our board in doing that because they were like, you need to outsource your customer service. I mean, look, everybody's doing that. Get a call center to do that. But I kept feeling if we're the best relationship company, we're going to be a great technology company. But we've got to we've got to give great service to those people. Mm. Again, going back to that basics, treat people the way you want to be treated. Now, today that looks brilliant, but you know, back then that was that was a big taboo. Like, you know, you know, what are these larger companies? You know, think of cable companies and all those things. What are they doing for customer service? They're not spending that kind of money. They're getting somebody that just graduated high school or or they're putting it in another country. And I just, you know, said, no, this is the way we need to do it. We we need to be accessible to our clients. We need to give them great technology and we need to make it affordable. And then the next part was, you know, being on and I say this ground level and going on sales calls and seeing what the competition had out there, whether it was texting or mobile apps, and saying, you know what, let's not be limited to just what we can develop. So we started licensing pieces of technology, and we work with the Mississippi National Guard. And this is kind of when people are like, where was that moment where things really changed? We helped the Mississippi National Guard go from like 39th in the nation in recruiting to number three in the nation in recruiting. Wow. Wow. Specifically through the texting technology. That's right. So they were using the mobile app. They would go to a high school. They'd be able to showcase the app. Moms and dads could take it with them, get their questions answered. They could share it a lot better. And once that happened, then the National Guard from Minnesota called. And then they became number one in the nation in recruiting. And then it was New York's, you know, Tennessee, Florida. I mean, it was just amazing. And then it was the Air National Guard and then working in those different programs. And then, you know, the dominoes started falling. They said, wow, okay, this this company can be trusted. This is a great company. And like the city of Madison jumped on board and the city of Ridgeland and Yazoo City. And you see these cities that say, hey, we want to be able to go above and beyond for our constituents and improve communication. We believe in transparency. We want you to know what's going on. But the best part is it costs them $5,000 a year. Hmm. So an intern that they could hire would cost them twice that much over the course of a year. You know, they'd spend $5,000 on a part-time employee over three months, but they have this technology that can be used by tens of thousands of people for instant communication, for police protection. You know, talk about Cleveland County, uh, Oklahoma. Now, if they had a shooter at a school and a mom was going to pick up their child, they would have an invisible fence there. 
that's able to send an alert to that mom and dad and let them know that there's a dangerous situation at that school. And the Cleveland County is spending $5,000 a year on that technology. <laughs> and they also have the ability to talk to all of the teachers instantly without having to use the loudspeaker. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if there's a shooter and they need to let every one of those teachers know what's going on, they can send them all a text instantly. And then what you had in Dallas, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, you remember this with the shooter yeah. who killed all the police officers there in downtown Dallas. The reason why the shooter knew where the officers were is he had an IFB in his ear, which is a you know small, more or less headphone, and he was listening to the scanner traffic. And what we talk about with police departments around the country is you can have a private communications platform that's not radio-based, that's not phone-based, that's not email-based with BFAC, and, oh, yeah, it's $5,000 a year. What's the price of that life of that officer? Mm -hmm. And also to protect that information because when we're in the media, we're listening to that because we want to know where the story is. So we're running to the story, and we're putting ourselves in danger, and we're putting those officers in danger just trying to go get that story. But now they can communicate, again, for $5,000 a year. That's a, I mean, it's a great offer. Now, is Texting Leader a separate company? It is, yes. But we've actually started a number of companies in the time period. And we've got TextingLeader.com. We have BFAC.com. We also have WeddingTexting.com, which has been one of the most remarkable stories I've ever seen in my life. We had an employee that went to a wedding. The wedding was a disaster because it was a destination wedding. And people didn't know where to go and they were trying to get a hold of everybody and they were oh, wow. trying to use Facebook, you know, more or less to communicate. Well, you know how that works. It You may get a 16% reach out of Facebook. So you have a large majority of people that didn't know the wedding had been moved. And you start thinking about all these things that can happen, roads being closed. Okay, I really want these people to know where we registered. And then it gets back to catering. How many people are coming to the wedding? How many people have RSVP'd for the wedding? Now, my parents, they'll grab that that invitation and they'll fill out that RSVP and put the stamp on it and send it out. But I'm not that guy. <laughs> and people that are my age, you know, that are 40 and younger, you know, they, they, they're last minute people. But with a text, they can tell them and they can find out where they're registered. And so we came up with this concept and it has, it's really exploded. And, you know, our goal is to, you know, really try to, you know, disrupt that $52 billion a year industry, which is weddings just in the United States. Yeah, that's a huge one. It's a wedding communications platform for WeddingTexting.com, and it costs the bride and groom $400 a year. So I, I want to make sure I get, get all this straight, because like you said, you've got a lot of different companies out there. So WeddingTexting.com, then TextingLeader.com, which right. is... Is that is is it essentially kind of the same concept but on a broader scale? That is correct. Okay. So it, it's a little bit different, and there are also some tools that we found out where somebody said, you know what, we don't want to work with a Christian-based company. Oh, interesting. And so yeah. they'll be like, we want the technology, and we really want to work with your team, but we don't want to work with a Christian-based company. Or a government agency says, hey, we can't do this because you're publicly a Christian company. Is there anything else we can do? And I'm like, hey, here's our sister company, Texting Leader. So um, you know, that's how that kind of uh, came about gotcha. and and it has its own kind of uh, and I say this it has its own kind of clientele that use it and then the next thing that we recently started is called resumeapps.org people have seen technology advance everything from their refrigerator to their computers to their television sets to their cell phones to how they listen to music and we said you know what hasn't seen an advance resumes the one thing that's going to get you a better job. So we did these tests with these students and created these apps for them. And one got a job at Google. Oh, wow. And another, and then we you know, saw, hey, how are you doing with your traditional resume? No jobs. 
So resumeapps.org is a company that allows people to stand out with technology, and they can have an app that's designed. It's a progressive web app, so it's not in the iTunes store, but it is a progressive web app that has everything about them in there. Their social media, they can even have videos where they've got testimonials in there. And that employer, they share it. They've got it on their phone. Now when they're at home and they're in an intimate setting, they're checking out that applicant. And it's been amazing. Yeah. And so, a, you know, a person that has spent, you know, 100000 or $200,000 getting a degree and goodness knows how long, you know, hitting the pavement trying to get a job. Now they can spend 300 bucks, and they can have their own progressive web app in the – I mean, just – I mean, it's life-changing for them. And so, you know, we're excited about it. We've talked with HR directors around the country and literally like the jaw of Sebastian and the Little Mermaid, you know, just dropped when they're like, (laughs) that is such a cool idea. And for me, being the son of an HR guy, my dad was a HR director for Gaylord Enterprises for 28 years. And there's nothing like seeing somebody get a job and our team getting to celebrate that success. I just say, man, resumeapps.org was one of the best ideas we could ever come up with to help people get jobs. That's awesome. So all of these different companies, are, are they all, is there a parent company that kind of manages all of that? BFAC.com. Does. Gotcha. So BFAC um, LLC officially is the parent company for all these individual LLCs. You know, I love the fact that the California National Guard uses technology from Mississippi. You do not have to be in Silicon Valley. And I enjoy that every day. I'm like, yeah, California has to depend on Mississippi. So does New York. So does Texas. So does Florida. You know, they may have, quote, the hub of all this technology, Austin, Texas, all these other places out there. But they're using Mississippi technology. Don't just dare to dream, dare to live the dream. And I believe that, you know, we have all of the assets here. And Innovate Mississippi, for me, being that non-business guy, being that broadcaster that loved his job very, very much, I was looking for a resource out there where, hey, what do I need to do about this? And, you know, how do I go about this? And if I want to take in investors eventually, how do I do that? And, you know, here's a business plan, but what is a business plan that they're going to like? Mm. And, and, you know, that's the key for me. I think, you know, I learned this a long time ago. In business, the key to success is to give your prospective client or your client what they want, not what you want but what they want. And if you do that, you're going to win. You know, I, I bear it to the most common thing in the world. If you go to a car dealership and you say, this is the kind of car I'm looking for, and that car salesman tells you, how about this instead of that? You know, even if that car turns out to be a great car for that person, they're never going to be happy because they didn't get what they wanted. And so we really just try to listen, give the people what they want, and help them be a success. And, you know, that's the key here is, you know, use technology to grow. And we're going to see some things in the next three to five years, that are literally going to cause people to scratch their head, um, you are going to see driverless cars all around the country, not in 10 years, not in 15 years, in three years. I was speaking in Pittsburgh not five months ago, and Uber had almost 40 vehicles out there without drivers. Right, yeah. And again, this is not San Francisco. This is Pittsburgh. And so, you know, it's coming. I mean, it's coming. And then you start thinking about, okay, what is that going to do to the economy? Right. When you have like, you know, uh, professional drivers who that's their their primary educational background is all based off of driving, you know, trucks and such. All of a sudden they're going to be out of a job. (laughs) They are. And, you know, the ripple effect of that. So how is that going to affect the insurance business? Mm. You know, we have three million people that die every year on roadways. The estimate out there is that we're going to save two million lives in 10 years. You know, that's a... (laughs) 
that's a lot of people. So insurance rates are going to go down. So how are they going to make their money? And how are all these other things going to happen? You know, there's a ripple effect in it. It's a gear shift. Yes. Pun, I mean, pun intended. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. And right. also you're going to have the ability for somebody that may live in Starkville to work in Jackson because they're in the back seat asleep on their way to work mm-hmm. because they don't need to be awake or they're doing work in their car all the way to Jackson. Right. They're like, "Hey, I want to be in Oxford on game days or I want to live in Baton Rouge, but I want to work in Jackson." As crazy as that sounds, that's going to be possible in the next 5 years because of driverless cars. There's a lot of stuff that's going on right now with Samsung and development on refrigerators where your fridge is literally going to be able to order your food for you. Like, oh, they're low on milk. I'm going to you know, send a text to Amazon and they're going to deliver the milk and you're not even going to know it. You're going to walk to the door and the person's going to be there with your milk on your Prime account and you're going to go, I didn't know Fresh Market delivered milk. Yeah, Amazon bought Fresh Market. Now they're sending milk to your <laughs> right, door yeah. because your fridge told us you needed some. Yeah. That is not like, that's far away. No, that is that is actually being tested. And Amazon- just It has to, been tested for the last decade. Yeah. Too. I mean, and, like it's, yeah. And then you think about Amazon, for example, Christmas three years ago, So rewinding the clock three years ago from December 1 to December 24th, they shipped 25 million packages. Then in December 1st, December 24, excuse me, of 2015, they did 250 million packages. And then last Christmas, they did a billion in that same time period, that 24-day time period, that convenience of being able to order stuff, get exactly what you want. And now they've got 30 markets where they're doing same-day delivery, not two-day same day delivery. And in Dallas right now, they're doing six hour deliveries. So if you're sitting there and you're like, oh man, we need this at home tonight. I don't need, boom, boom, boom. It's at my doorstep. So, I mean, it's going to change a lot of different things. And then the sad part is you've got a lot of mom and pop retail stores that are going away. Right. uh, Because people are valuing that convenience. You know, why is Chick-fil-A line longer than say other lines? Because people know it's not going to take me 30 minutes to go through that drive-thru. Even though it wraps around the building, they're paying for that convenience. It's not the cheapest chicken sandwich. It may not even be the best to some people, but they know I'm going to pay four bucks for this sandwich and I'm going to be in and out in five to six minutes. You're going to start to see that locally boutiques and different things are going to have to provide that service because people will pay for it. Mm-hmm. People will pay for that convenience. You know, it's not just being the cheapest. They'll they'll pay for the convenience. They look for quality, but they love convenience. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how those boutiques are. Hey, come try on your clothes. We'll alter it and we'll bring it to your house. Right. Yeah. You're, you're going to see that over and over and over again. You know, the most important thing people should realize is the world is mobile. There are 34 million more active cell phones in the United States than there are people alive in the United States. And if you are focused on how business was run 10 years ago, good luck. Hmm. But if you're focused on how business will run 10 years from now, you can be really successful. I mean this. There's no better time in the world, in the history of this country, to start a business than right now. Hmm. And you can truly do it anywhere. Thanks for listening to the show. For more origin stories on Mississippi-based innovators, be sure to subscribe to the show at originsofinnovation.com. Our show is produced by Pottery Studios and made possible by Innovate Mississippi. I'm Bo York, and you've been listening to Origins of Innovation. <laughs> <laughs>